I think that's a problem. I think that's part of why we are where we are, because all of these companies raised tons of money at outrageous valuations saying they were going to go to the moon solving problems that either didn't exist or were already in the process of being solved. Hey, it's Lee here, back with another episode of Means of Creation. This time I'm interviewing and having a conversation with Avi Gandhi, who is really one of the foremost experts in the creator economy. He's been working in the creator economy for 14 years, and he's had lots of different vantage points in the creator economy, from starting his career in the mailroom of WME, the talent agency, and working in the digital media division there when digital was still a very nascent ecosystem, to then joining a media and investment company called Wheelhouse, where he launched their video and podcast production studio, working with lots of top creators on their podcasts and videos. And then most recently, he was the head of creator partnerships at Patreon, where he helped assign TikTokers, podcasters, streamers, and other top creators to the platform. And today he's now a consultant, advisor, and writer on all things creators. And he's also a creator himself. So he has a newsletter called Creator Logic and interviews lots of other creators about their platform choices, tooling, operations, and monetization approaches. So hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I think it unpacks a lot of really useful insights and learnings for those building in the creator economy. Avi, it's so great to have you here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I feel like I've heard so much about you from different friends and contacts that I have in the creator space. So it's amazing to put a face to the name. And yeah, I feel like our meeting was a long time coming. And then to have you on the podcast, it's just like a dream come true for the podcast. So thank wow. you. That's that's very kind of you to say. And thank you. Obviously, I have seen and followed your exploits over the last however many years. And so it's exciting to be able to talk to you. Yeah, for sure. So I know that you have like a really long history of working in the creator space. I think you've been working with creators for something like 14 years on multiple sides of the table. And so I was wondering for listeners who aren't as familiar with your background or your work, if you wouldn't mind giving a quick introduction of all of the experiences that you've had to date related to creators. Sure. We'll try to keep it condensed. I started on the entertainment side of the aisle because I think Creator economy is one of the few things that Hollywood actually caught wind of faster than tech. And so, you know, I was one of the first talent agents in the space. I was at a firm called WME, one of the biggest talent agencies, mm -hmm. and was one of the first agents representing, you know, back in the day, it was YouTube stars, Vine stars, if that kind of dates me a little bit. Cool. So working on like the digital side. Of yes, their yes, yes. And, you know, I did that alongside because like back then, digital was kind of like anything that had to do with the internet. So it was like I was also doing video game deals. And <laughs> I was also doing podcast partnerships, which I guess is greater economy as well. So like a lot of different things there that were at the time brand new. And then, you know, after leaving, I kind of transitioned more over and directly into tech, I worked for game companies in VR and mobile games, still largely doing influencer marketing, creative partnerships, and kind of learning a little bit more about how the tech world works, how people think about product, you know, how to do user acquisition and think about growth from that perspective. Went back to entertainment, became a producer, built a digital media company at Wheelhouse, which is Brent Montgomery and Jimmy Kimmel's production 
company and you know we were producing podcasts and YouTube channels, but it was all in partnership with some of the biggest creators, TV shows as well. Our, oh, interesting. Stre streaming shows. So we did the Hype House show on Netflix. We won a streamy for Bailey Sarian's Dark History and you know a bunch of other shows. And then joined Patreon and led their creator partnerships team until 2022. And now I work with creator economy companies of all sizes, ranging from, you know, pre-seed AI startups to Discord and sort of that level of company on creator partnership strategy, creator acquisition, top of market creator partnerships, and kind of anywhere else I can be helpful to product, product marketing, marketing and business development teams. And then I also write yeah. my newsletter, Creator Logic. And that's all about the creator economy and sort of insights. Yeah. About how to build for creators. So Creator Logic, basically I interview full-time creators and talk through how they run their businesses. So obviously that starts with where their audience comes from, then ladders down to what their revenue sources are and how those kind of match up. And then sort of ties it all up with what are the tools, the platforms, the partners that they have, and how did they end up picking those in an otherwise vast sea of tools, platforms, and partners, right? So like why does a creator who writes an email newsletter use ConvertKit instead of MailChimp? Or why is a creator who is a comedian represented by UTA instead of WME? You know, those kinds of questions. Got it. Yeah. It was kind of, I had the idea for that because of both my experience as a, you know, as an executive in the creator economy. And also like, as I've become a creator, I write on LinkedIn about the creator economy. One of their top voices was in their creator accelerator. Also coming to realize like, you know, there aren't that many tools out there or that many places where creators can like learn from other creators on what they're doing. What are they using? Why yeah. are they using that? How are they actually making money? Yeah, there's a ton of meta creators, but not that many who are like surveying the broader landscape and certainly not that many who are talking to creators of all sizes, right? Everyone talks to Mr. Beast. Everyone talks to Ryan Trahan. It's like, great. We hear from the same gigantic creators over and over again. But the reality is the creator economy is vast. There's like 50 million, some say more than 200 million creators out there. And so, you know, you have to see and hear from and understand what all these different creators are doing in order to really yeah. understand the creator economy as a whole. And that's been like a 14 year journey for me. And my hope is that by talking to so many creators, I can speed that up for other creators and for creator economy founders and execs. That is really, really valuable to do that kind of firsthand research and sit down with creators and distill their insights. I agree that there's very much like this kind of knowledge vacuum around creators and their tool sets, their stacks. Well, and for founders of the creator economy, especially we can just jump right into it. Let's get into it. I feel like there's like two challenges that I've seen. Like either the company is founded by a creator and that creator knows other creators super well, understands like, you know, their own business model as a creator mm -hmm. and how that could extrapolate. But they're not really professionals. They don't really know how to run a business or how to scale or how to build culture or how to, you know, build product, all those things. And so you know, they have challenges with that piece of it. Or the company is started by a tech founder, you know, maybe a product person, an engineer. They love creators. They watch YouTube or right. Twitch or they're a consumer. You know, they're TikTok, a fan. They're a consumer. Right. But they've never tried to make a living as a creator, right? Maybe they casually make videos or write a newsletter or whatever. But like it's never been how they've generate business. It's never been how they pay their bills. They've never had the pressure of like 
having to grow in order to, you know, get to the point where they can, you know, afford, you know, more than just food, right? Whatever it is. So they don't fully understand why creators act the way that they do. And so I think, I think that's an interesting tension. And like, I'm hearing more and more about it from founders, from creators as well. You know, one way to address it, for example, like there's a cohort of creators who kind of are already investors in companies. Like you might know Peter Hollins. I think he's a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a investor and advisor well. for Patreon. So he's yeah. like all about like the higher creators movement, right? He's like pushing this movement to try to get more companies to hire creators and bring creators onto staff so that there is a voice there who actually understands like right. how creators think and what the challenges are, which I think makes a lot of sense, you know, more and more founders are becoming creators themselves. More and more creators are becoming founders. Like it's an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. I guess like, so with all of your experiences over the last decade plus from multiple angles, from the talent management angle, from the producer angle, from the tech startup that's serving creators angle. And now as a creator yourself, I would just love to hear kind of your reflections on where we are in the creator economy today. It feels like over the past decade, we've gone through the creator economy hype cycle where there was this huge explosion of funding, attention, like press buzz about the creator economy. I would say that was probably 2019 to 2021. And then it feels like now we're in this trough of disillusionment about the creator economy. And there's headlines about how it's over and all of these companies, the platforms are cutting funding programs or they're canceling benefits. Like I think Substack canceled many of its creator benefits, including creator health insurance and Twitch is cutting its partner rev share. Meta is canceling its creator fund for reels. I would love to hear your high level kind of 10,000 foot view on where are we as an industry and what does the path forward look like for the creator economy? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I've got a couple of couple of thoughts on it. I think big picture, if you take a step back, Silicon Valley only really discovered the creator economy in, you know, 2019 and really 2020, right? But like creator economy has been around for 15, maybe even 20 plus years, right? And right. If you include like the blogosphere back in the day. You could say it goes all the way back to GeoCities and that kind of, you know, world, right? Mm-hmm. And Hollywood and Silicon Beach, if you want to call it that, LA kind of discovered it, I would say around like 2010, 2011. And so there was this initial wave of creator economy companies that a lot of tech investors don't even know about, or if they do, they don't really acknowledge, right? Like the maker studios and full screens. Yeah. And, and those are like the trading grounds, right? Those in the talent agencies for a lot of the people who are running some of the bigger companies out there today in the space. And I think, you know, one of the things that I found interesting about like this previous crop of creator economy companies that have come out of this boom that is now kind of in a trough Mm -hmm. is that there hasn't really been in the last three as much innovation. Like if you look at a lot of the companies that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, other big Silicon Valley firms, like they're just building products that already exist and putting a mm-hmm. different skin on it, right? Like how many more, me- like Patreon has existed for al- almost 10 years, but somehow like six to 10 other membership platforms 
got funded. Same product, basically, right? And they got funded while all the major platforms were building membership. And like, you could say the same thing with, you know, transactional content, the same thing with digital products, the same thing, you know, like there have been solutions for all of these problems that like Silicon Valley founders in the creator economy have been identifying over the last three, four years for decades. And most of them are just very simple. Like how many people are building a CRM or a project management tool for creators? It's like, cool. Creators use like Google Sheets. Or they right? don't or really notes. even, yeah, or, or they, they don't, don't have a CRM and they're okay with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're identifying problems that don't exist. And so like there hasn't been much fundamental innovation in terms of like TikTok was kind of an innovation, right? That's part of why it blew up. I would argue the other reason it blew up is because they spent a billion dollars on marketing and creative partnerships. But TikTok was an innovation. The algorithm was incredible at identifying content you like, the mix of music and sounds and visuals. It's completely new, right? Mm -hmm. But aside from that, like point at one creator economy company that's doing something that didn't actually really exist before. I think that's a problem. I think that's part of why we are where we are because all of these companies raised tons of money at outrageous valuations saying they were going to go to the moon solving problems that either didn't exist or were already in the process of being solved. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's kind of the, the challenge. And it kind of goes back to that disconnect that we talked about earlier between like, who are the founders of these companies, right? Like, the Silicon Valley founders aren't themselves largely creators. You know, I consult with a lot of creator economy companies so far out of the like, you know, 10 or 12 that I've worked with since I left Patreon, two of them have pivoted because after working with them for a few months, we kind of came to the conclusion, like this isn't a problem or this isn't the right problem, or this is a market where there's already solutions or this isn't yeah. the right fit for me as a founder or whatever it is. Right. And so I think that, those two things are connected, right? The like right. tech-driven, product-driven founders who maybe aren't creators and don't necessarily understand creators. And so they're building for problems that they see, but don't necessarily realize that aren't really problems, which leads to a lack of innovation. Now, there is innovation out there, right? Like I've seen over the last few months products where I'm like, wow, like that is hugely imaginative, hugely different, very risky. And if it works, it could change everything. And so I think the smart money is seeking opportunities like those because they're out there. Yeah, I definitely want to bookmark that thought and come back to like, what are those innovation areas? But first, I want to react to everything that you just said about the arc of like creator economy startups and funding and where that has gone. So like, I agree with a lot of your observations that a lot of companies got funded when they weren't solving key pain points or maybe a solution already existed. But I think there's also this kind of like, the physics of the creator economy is such that like the platforms play such a major role in the ecosystem. They are where value gets derived. It's where creators get birthed. They get birthed on the platforms because that's where they become creators in the first place. That's where they create and distribute content. That's where they get their audience. Totally. And so if you're a startup that's trying to build a tool that inserts itself into the value stream at some point in that like creator life cycle, it's really, really difficult to just resist like the gravity field of the platforms that are trying to suck out as much value as possible from the creator economy. So if you're building like a membership platform that's standalone, well, a platform could look at that and be like, well, that's actually just a feature of the fact that we're already making these creators famous or giving them an audience. 
or things like tipping, like a standalone tipping tool, like that's just a feature of a platform. And so I think a lot of creator founders had great ideas over the last few years, but those great ideas didn't necessarily make sense as standalone businesses, just given the market structure of the creator economy being dominated by platforms that had really strong network effects. Yeah. So I definitely agree that there are products that were built that were great products that just, you know, didn't need to exist because the platforms had them, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit to what I was saying earlier. I actually think that the platforms are not the challenge here for founders. And I'll tell you why, because there is no trust in the platforms by creators. Creators know that they need the platforms to grow, but they don't like them. They don't want to be dependent on them, right? Like if every single creator, right? I, I do these creator logic interviews and every single creator mentions some form of risk around their platform relationship, right? It's like most of them who make money off of like brands, for example, like their risk is that, you know, the platform nerfs their algorithm or changes the algorithm without telling them. And now like they're not getting the views anymore and they immediately lose their ad and their brand business, right? Others who make content that is on the cutting edge or talks about controversial topics or whatever, like the risk is that they might get banned without knowing why or being able to remedy it, right? Everyone is, you know, grumpy about the fact that they can't get anything done from the platforms, right? And this is all of them, right? YouTube, Meta, you know, Snap, TikTok, whoever, right? And so I think like, yes, the platforms are there, but like there is no freedom in platform yeah. dependence. Freedom for creators is in diversification. And I think most creators intuitively know that, which is why Patreon is a billion dollar business and Kajabi is a billion dollar business and all these other companies have legs. There are creators using all these other tools, even though there are solutions mm -hmm. on the platforms because like at the end of the day, I'll quote one of the creators that I just interviewed, my heart can't bear that level of dependence. Wow. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, there is definitely this like hunger and craving among creators for something different that reduces their dependency on the large platforms. Maybe returning to the point that you were making about you are still seeing companies with really strong innovations targeted at creators. I would love to hear about some of those. Like, where do you see the biggest opportunities in building for creators still? Yeah, unfortunately, the one that really comes to mind the most, I'm under NDA on, so I can't actually like... Can you describe the broad concept? The, the broad concept is that like... Well, I'll take a step back and talk big picture. Big picture, yeah. if you look at a lot of the ways that we distribute content, for example, they're largely static, right? Even live video, the most interactive it gets right now for 99.9% .9 of creators and fans is like the chat. There's a chat, woohoo, right? There's interaction in the chat. But like, we have 5G internet, we have, you know, like fiber optics and Google cable or fiber or whatever it is. And like, you know, Apple M2 super chips and all this stuff, right? Like we have the power to do more and to make the relationship between creators and their fans deeper, more interactive, more interesting. So let's do that, right? That's the innovation, right? Like that's the next level. It's like, who's going to build the things that 
go beyond like let me chat with my fans let me live stream for them while they watch and chat with me like who's gonna take that to the next level i think like that's one example of like where there's real opportunity for innovation in every single category in audio in video in short form and long form and live and community right because community kind of encompasses everything lots of people talk about like we're entering the age of community and i think that's absolutely true but like community is hard and it's a separate like there's like three buckets of creators, right? There's content or sort of content driven, community driven, and there's like transaction driven, right? And like that's in ascending order of difficulty. The vast majority of creators are content driven. They're making content and like it stops there. They might try to manage a community, but they're not good at that. They're good at making the content. They want to make more content and hopefully they make money from that content, like through ads, through sponsorships, whatever, right? Managing a community takes a ton of effort. And then if you're transaction driven, you're trying to sell digital products or to sell membership, whatever, you got to do both of the former, yeah. right? And so if you can make managing a community easier by tying it into the intrinsic process of making content and of distributing content, like that is super interesting. So that's like one example. AI is obviously, everyone's talking about AI. You know, I think there's value in it, certainly. Like I use mm -hmm. ChatGPT when I'm, you know, like as an enhancement to the as content an creation right. process. Yeah. yeah, like there are aspects of the content creation process. And actually, I will say they're less about the content creation process and more about the posting operations process, right? I okay. hate writing like hooks and I hate writing email subject lines and having to rewrite, you know, the introduction to like who the creator I'm talking to is three times for the Monday, Wednesday, Friday emails. Like those kinds of things. It's like, I don't want to think about this from scratch. Just like do it yeah, for me, chat. It's GBT. kind of like low level, minimal creativity involved, but just like stuff yes. that you need to put together that AI yes. can help accelerate. Yes. But ChatGPT is never going to read a quote that I like got from a creator and then like extrapolate like interesting and unique information and write it in my voice mm -hmm. because they're not me. Yet. Right. Sure. Maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. Months. I mean, look, like if I can tap my brain into it, then then maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So basically, like things that innovate on the core format of the interaction between creators and their audiences, like how do we go beyond video, live video? I feel like the history of social media and social platforms, by the way, is like a trend towards richer and richer ways of interacting yeah. and expressing yourself. Yeah. And so what is that next level of innovation on the content format itself? Like that, that is a frontier for innovation. I agree with that. I think so. Like, is there something between YouTube and Roblox, right? Like Roblox is a game, right? Or Minecraft is a game or Fortnite or whatever, right? Like they're full on games and you have to be a gamer or like have some capability with playing games to like enjoy those. Right. But those are social networks and they're content platforms. YouTube, anyone with an iPhone can post a video if they want or TikTok or pick your social platform. Right. What's in between that? Mm -hmm. Haven't figured that out yet. Let's figure that out. There's something right. Like, how do you get me? Because I'm not playing Roblox. I got shit to do. But like, I want to engage more. You know, I'm a fan. I am a content consumer. There are content. Yeah, I listen to. Dungeons and Dragons podcasts, like I want to engage more in that. Like if I could engage more in that in a way that makes sense for me as a 34 year old man, I'm down. So who's building yeah. that? Right. Yeah. That's interesting. 
I also definitely want to pick your brain on the topic of creator partnerships and creator acquisition. I think this is like hmm. the the question for all startup founders out there is how do I get creators to pay attention and want to use my product? And in the last couple of years, we've seen money being the major carrot that is being offered through creator funds, creator accelerator programs, like some form of compensation, essentially. It basically boils down to that. I would love to hear like your thoughts on that versus what are the other levers out there that you've seen be potentially more effective? Yeah, it is a challenge. It's a common challenge and it's a complicated challenge. The first place I start is like, what's the business model, right? And like, what's your goal for creator partnerships, which should back out of the business model? I'll give you two examples, right? Like Patreon and Kajabi. Patreon and Kajabi both have memberships, but both have very different business models. Patreon takes 10%, give or take, of what a creator makes. Kajabi charges like, I don't know, 50 or 100 bucks a month, something like that. It's a SaaS model. Yeah. yeah. Those are very, very different business models. Patreon cares about getting creators who are going to make a lot of money because then Patreon will make a lot of money. Patreon could have 10 million users, but if they're each making $10 a month, that's an okay business, but it's not valuing them at four and a half billion, right? right. They need they need t 10 million creators making an average of 100 or $1,000 a month, right? Kajabi is very happy to have 10 million users making $10 a month. They don't care because if those users are making $10 a month, but they're still paying $100 a month, great. Now, obviously, that's unlikely. People aren't going to, on average, lose money forever. But the point is, like, those are two very different business models. And so how they approach creator partnerships is necessarily different, right? Okay. For Patreon, they've got to figure out how to identify creators that are going to be successful, right? Because not every creator is going to work. This is one of my biggest learnings at Patreon, right, is like, Creators are not a segment. Creators are an economy, and there are thousands of segments of creators within that economy. And in fact, no product is going to work for every creator, right? And that even applies yeah. to the platforms, right? There might be 2 billion users on, on Instagram, but like actually like plenty of people have Instagram accounts and don't use it. I have a Facebook account. I haven't used it in a year, right? So like- It's not a homogeneous right. entity. Right. Whereas like my mother-in-law uses Facebook 10 times a day, right? and follows creators who post about left-wing politics and whatever, right? And like that, so like there are different segments of creators and these segments have different business models. They have different kinds of audiences. They make different types of content. One creator could be making educational content that is meant for virality and scale. No one's gonna buy stuff from them because their content is fun and educational, but like not like deep, but they make lots of money from brands and ads. Another creator could make educational content about the exact same topics, but because the creative is different and because how they approach it is different, it's deeper, it's less about virality and more about knowledge. And that creator is now getting paid, you know, thousand bucks a month by a hundred people to tutor their kids in AP biology or whatever. Right. And two creators talking about the same things with very different business models. And so Patreon has to figure out, well, which of those creators is actually going to make money on Patreon? Because some of them will and some of them won't. That's a hard proposition. If they can figure it out, then they can use a creator partnerships team 
to go after the big creators that are going to make the most money and lift up their average revenue per creator and then let the product acquire all those smaller ones, right? And maybe like in the wide net that is product-led acquisition, they'll pull in some big ones too. Right. Big creators need white glove service. They need like real hands-on service because like, you know, big creators, everyone's a celebrity now and big creators uh, expect to be treated like it a little bit. Kajabi, like, yeah, they want big creators because those big creators are marketing, but they don't need big creators from a business model perspective. Patreon can pay creators to join sure. the platform because they can make their money back potentially. Kajabi can't, they'll never make their money back. So they want to get big creators, but their motion to do it is very different. They don't need a you know, hands-on, large experienced creator partnerships team to like go out and like make deals and have lunches with creators and like really sell them on doing it. They can be almost entirely product-led. And then every once in a while, when a big creator comes across their desk, like have someone a couple people there to talk to them. And that's as effective for growing their business. And both of these companies, by the way, have you know, billion dollar, $2 billion a year payments to creators. So they're both effective. They're just very different in model right. creator segment and thus partnerships approach. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically the business model of whatever product you're building determines whether that white glove acquisition approach of wooing them, taking them out to dinner, paying them potentially guarantees works given the business model alignment with that, or it implies like a very different acquisition strategy of just product-led growth, the traditional paid channels perhaps or referrals if it's going to be smaller LTV per creator. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. I was going to say like off the back of that, I feel like the model that was in vogue over the last couple of years is to have this like extremely incentive aligned like sort of model with creators where you only make money if the creator makes money basically the take rate model that was advertised by a lot of creator tools like 10 percent take creator whatever it might be we don't make money unless you do and i think the reckoning for those businesses is like actually maybe there's not that many creators who can make a lot of money and so that business model is being called into question as to whether it's even a viable business model given the distribution of creator success. So I would love to hear your reaction to that. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think that this goes back to like, what is the product and what is the like revenue opportunity, right? So a company I'm working with right now, you know, they will eventually have a self-serve long tail product. But like right now they're building a, you know, AI personas for top of market creators for them, you know, paying advances, getting big creators on board is really all that matters because like, you know, it's expensive to build these custom personas. You know, they can scale really well once built, but like they need to be trained. There's a lot that goes into them. So it's not yet a long tail product. So for them, if they can figure out who are the creators that work for this, then it makes sense to take a percentage, right? I think that that kind of is the hard thing, right? It's like, can you figure out who's gonna make money on this and how much? That's really hard. Even Patreon is not great at that. I don't think mm-hmm. any company really is that good at that. Certainly like YouTube, ironically, not that good at that. Over the last decade, they've spent probably a billion dollars on incentives to acquire 
creators from across other platforms and Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. And like the vast majority of those like mm, haven't really panned out. And so if you can figure that out or if you can have a business model that works to aggregate them, right? Like Masterclass doesn't need to make individual money on any given super celebrity, right? They just package them all up and make a bunch of money from the fact that they have a bunch of super celebrities. Same thing with Netflix and their content strategy, right? Then it makes sense to like have those teams do the wine and dining, do the payments, whatever it is. I think that if you're building a product that is long tail, then you should try to just make money from everyone and expect your business model to scale as if you were a consumer products company or a consumer software company, right? Because like creators aren't like companies in that their appetite to spend doesn't scale as their business scales. Like they want to keep that money. Right. Yeah. Even big, big creators. I mean, there's now, right, 10, 15 years in, now some people like Mr. Beast who are willing to spend money to make money. Right. But that's, that's the absolute money. It's very rare. Yes. Right. Most creators are proud of having very, very high margins because they spend very little and they make a lot at scale. And so you have to think about most creators as kind of this like hybrid between consumer and small business that really skews more towards consumer for the vast majority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think where companies get in trouble is they have a product that monetizes like any consumer software product, but they are trying to do the high touch creator partnerships route to get the pie in the door. Yeah. And that that's, combination. That's good early just, on. It's good early on. You have to do it early on. But like at a certain point, your product's got to drive growth if you're doing yeah. this like scale model, right? So like my recommendation is have a creator partnerships team early, maybe like very early. It's just the CEO talking to creators, right? But like eventually you want to have a few people here and there talking to creators, but you want over time to transition from having a creator partnerships team that is acquiring new users because their word of mouth is going to then drive more kind of organic growth to having a product that's acquiring new users and a creator partnerships team that's just there to be a human being when a creator and especially like a big creator who's influential wants a human being to talk to because that will inevitably happen. And you have to remember that if a big creator is upset at you and says something, they have very large reach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so like you want, it's almost like it goes from being an acquisitive motion to being like a marketing, branding, customer service type motion. Yeah, actually, that piece of advice is great because I think it's a little bit unexpected or counterintuitive, which is that you should build a creator partnerships function early because at first to acquire creators, you have to do things that don't scale. You have to do the high touch motion to really idiosyncratic ways to acquire creators through any means possible. And then later on, that creator partnerships function evolves to it's less like just functioning as the main acquisition channel and more to support the really successful creators on your platform from a branding and marketing perspective. That's a great summary. I have some philosophical questions for you as Let's well. Let's do it. I would love Let's to get, get your thoughts it. on. Yeah. So it is the case today that we, you know, despite having 50 million creators, I've even heard some estimates going up to 200 million creators in the world, like very few of them are making money. Very few of them are able to have this as their full-time occupation. Most of them are doing it as their side hustle 
earning a little bit here and there, but by no means, you know, being a full-time creator. Do you think that can change? How do you think it changed? Like, how do we ever get a creator middle class to exist? Or is that goal even realistic? That's yeah, a great question. I think a couple of things. I think first, and I'm certainly not saying that, you know, it's the majority, right? Like there still is a huge disparity. But I think that the number of creators and the percentage of creators that are making a middle-class income and that are able to do it full-time is understated. I think there are a lot more than we think. Because a lot of these studies are really measuring based on like platform payments and ad spends and sponsorships. But like there's all these other sources of revenue that creators are able to string together or rely on entirely, right? Like that's kind of the beauty of the space is that everyone is sort of becoming a creator, right? Small businesses that previously were like marketing on, I don't know, Yelp or Google ads are now also starting to make content. Like my uncle is a plastic surgeon in Orange County who like mostly takes, you know, uninsured people who just want to spend like five grand here and there on a boob job. Now he's got a TikTok. And like it drives customers for him. And like I would argue that he's a creator. I mean, like, is he making money from, you know, TikTok's fund? No. But if his content is driving his business and if he's making content to drive to that business, like that's creation. And so I think there's a lot more robustness and complexity in the creator economy than what many people think about it as like ad rev share brands and maybe like driving some transactions here and there. I do think that like income disparity is a challenge. And I think that varies from platform to platform and from model to model. Like there is more income disparity on Twitch than on Patreon, for example, right? Because, you know, Twitch's distribution and algorithms drive towards a limited subset of creators. And so like algorithmic distribution can work towards driving a middle class by enabling more creators to get you know, viewership, it can also work against it by driving more people, you know, down in the funnel towards a smaller subset of creators. And if, you know, ads and platform revenue are all we're counting, then certainly, you know, there is a disparity there. But again, like the robustness of the creators on these platforms and their businesses is not really accounted for. And I was like, like Patreon, the beauty of Patreon, there were creators that were like, had like 30,000 followers on Instagram. We were making like 200K a year because whatever they were making, their fans were super passionate about and they had an outsized number paying them monthly for more content or whatever it is, right? But like, that's not measured, right? Right. So I think that like in our world, income disparity is a problem, but I think as long as there are sufficient opportunities for creators to be creative about how they can make a living, like anyone can do it. Yeah. And I think a lot more people are doing it than we give it credit for based on how it's mm -hmm. measured. Yeah, that's really interesting. I agree with you. I think a lot of the metrics that you see cited out there, they're from the platform's perspective. So on any given platform, yes, a very small sliver of creators are making a middle-class income, but like creators are not just single platform creators. They are stacking things on top of each other and 
They might be earning a little bit on Patreon, but more through their freelance work or something like that. So yeah, that's interesting. And the platforms, like, how can we improve the distribution of revenue from the platforms? Like, frankly, we can't. Like, that's on the platforms. At this point, the platforms are like acts of God, right? Like, (laughs) a, a change to YouTube's algorithm is basically for millions of people, literally, yeah, the equivalent of a drought in mm-hmm. a country dependent on farming. Like you just, nothing you can do about it. YouTube doesn't care. In fact, like they don't even really know what the effects of their changes are going to be. How do you feel about that, by the way? Like, how do you feel about the fact that these platforms are almost godlike in the way that they control the incomes and the livelihoods of millions of creators like do you think that we should look to regulation from the perspective of like these creators are workers and therefore platforms should be doing more to ensure responsible work conditions and like minimum payouts or do you think the onus should be on the creators to just like figure it out do the things that mitigate their own risk it's a great question and we're going to get into politics now so let's this is the politics section of the podcast yeah yeah. look like my point of view is probably going to be pretty like unpopular with a bunch of Silicon Valley, you know, VC founders. But I will say, like, let's compare America and China. In China, capital serves the government, right? When Jack Ma says something that the Chinese government doesn't like, they shut him the fuck up. Right. He gets slapped down. Like, not just slapped down. He disappears, comes back. And just starts lecturing at universities about completely unrelated things and like does not go back to work, does not have a say, does not go around buying companies and trying to impact like culture and social movements and the government, all that, right? Whatever. In America, like the government serves capital. If you have money, you have a bigger voice in the government. So I don't see any world, maybe like 25 years from now when, you know, boomers are dead, Gen X is ancient, and, you know, the Gen Alpha is voting, right? Maybe then, you know, when, like, the vast majority of the voting population are not making enough money to buy a house and they, everyone becomes a socialist, sure, government regulation could help us. Today, if you're a creator, the path to freedom is diversification. Do not become yeah. dependent on platforms. If you're a creator... Do not let YouTube AdSense or, you know, your TikTok views that drive, you know, sponsorship dollars, like don't become dependent on any one thing, like build multiple revenue sources, build multiple audience sources. That's the only way. It truly is the only way that, you know, you can get around that, right? If you're a farmer and there's a drought and... Yeah, your crop dies. Well, hopefully you also have chickens. I don't know, right? Like, otherwise, like, you're screwed. It reminds me, you know, William Gibson wrote Neuromancer, and I forget the sequel to Neuromancer, but the sequel to Neuromancer, which is like one of the seminal kind of cyberpunk novels, there, like in, there's a spoiler for Neuromancer, but at the end of Neuromancer, like a an AI that is, you know, held captive in, you know, a, a mainframe disconnect from the internet is finally connected to the internet and released in like, goes free and lives in the internet or the the matrix as they called it back in the 80s and in the sequel to neuromancer the ai splits off and living out of the internet basically becomes like a digital god and is worshipped as a digital god there are cults to these 
AI that live out there and like are sometimes seen by people traversing the matrix and have impacts on things that happen in the matrix and you know people worship them right well that's the same thing that happens with YouTube's algorithm, right? Mr. Beast is the prophet of the YouTube algorithm. He's figured it out. He knows what words work in the subject lines and how to make a thumbnail that will get people to click and make the algorithm pop and look at his views. It's clearly proof that he is. Fi and so like, you know, people worship him as like this kind of prophet to this thing that no one really <laughs> understands and fully, like even the people that make it, or claim that they can't change it, they don't really understand how it works, right? That's like kind of what's happening now, right? We have these things that control millions of people's lives and livelihoods, and nobody knows how they work yeah. or like what exactly goes into them, even the people that made them. We're beyond regulation at this point, I think. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. So basically your perspective is like creators, they need to just be aware of the dynamics of the market that they're operating in and manage their work, their livelihoods in accordance with that. Diversify, yep. essentially, right. become That's less it. dependent. I feel like there's always been this tension between platforms and creators. Like creators are trying to build their businesses, they're trying to be independent, they're trying to be cross-platform, diversified, but the platforms obviously want a very different world. They want to commoditize every creator. They want it to be like, if a creator leaves, like you don't even notice as a user, you just get slotted in some other creator into the feed. They want creators to like have to use their platform to reach their audiences because that's what's going to drive that flywheel of content and audiences. And so, yeah, I feel like we're always in this constant like battle between platforms doing things that sort of erode the power of creators and creators trying to like push back against that. But kind of ineffectively because they don't really on their own as any individual creator they don't really have that much leverage and so how do you see that playing out like does that ever get resolved do platforms ever become more creator friendly i don't think the existing ones do I know there's a movement to unionize creators and i hope that works mm -hmm. i'm skeptical because Same. a million creators could leave YouTube and it's like, you know, a quarterly blip, right? It's a blip, yeah. And frankly, the creators need YouTube more than the YouTube needs any given creator. Like, it's like a game theory problem a little bit. And so, or tragedy of the commons or something else. Some, some econ problem. My brother is an economist. He would be laughing at me right now. It's a power asymmetry. Yeah. Yes, yes, ex exactly. Maybe if every single creator left YouTube, at this point, that scale is unimaginable to organize. And look at Reddit, right? Like thousands of reddit communities shut down and the ceo is like now nah, we're still gonna impose these costs on the api sorry so i think the only i mean the only possibility of change i see is kind of what we're seeing play out with twitch and like all of these entrants into that market which is just other companies come in with equally good or better products and say our products are the same but better but you're going to make more money and or you're going to have be more creative first. Are those Twitch competitors getting any traction from that approach? Like, do creators care about making more money in theory, but having a smaller audience? Yeah. So I think if it was just the more money thing, they probably wouldn't. But like Kick and Rumble particularly are both getting a pretty significant traction. 
I think yeah. part of it is like a combination of like revenue share, like Kick is offering like 95% to creators or something, but also like they're addressing another common issue in that particular community, which is like freedom of speech or whatever. So like you can- Are they targeting a particular like niche or vertical and doing it better than Twitch can as a horizontal Yeah, platform? people who want to say whatever they want without getting banned or do whatever okay. they want without I getting see. banned. Right. You know, like you can stream topless on kick and you can be racist if you want on kick is my understanding. You know, I haven't read their terms of service. So like largely people are like kick is kind of a trash can, but they're growing fast because there's a bunch of creators that like are fine with being in a trash can if they make 95 percent and can do whatever they want. Right. Freedom. There are other creator problems that can be solved by a platform. And so like if some platform came along and said, like, we're going to be like YouTube but we are going to use AI to moderate communities so that it's a super, super safe space for BIPOC and LGBT and like other, you know, underrepresented creators. And we're going to give 80% of revenue to creators. And every creator that is honest is going to own a piece of the company so that you get a profit share. And if we go public, you own stock in the company. And so like, you know, what, right, something to that effect, right? Like I can imagine that working. Maybe, maybe not, right? Like, you know, someone's got to do it to figure it out. But YouTube ain't going to do any of those things because they have no incentive to, right? Like yeah. they already are winning and, you know, it's the common innovator's dilemma there. Right, right. It's interesting. I think throughout my time investing in the creator economy, the value proposition of we'll give you more money as a higher take rate to you. But, you know, we have a cold start problem where there's very few users of the platform initially, that's a very mixed value proposition. And I haven't really seen that be successful. But the combination of both more favorable economics and the product is different because in this case, like it has this different ideological stance towards moderation or whatever, like that can work or what you just hypothesized about better economics will make you owners. Plus, we're going to use AI to improve the content type or or something like that. Or like the creator that experience or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. That that could work. Interesting. Yeah. The business model alone is unlikely to drive it. I agree. To your point, like there's gotta be like meaningful product policy, some sort of innovation that addresses the other challenges that creators have with the platforms. And there are many. So my high level point of view on the creator economy is that I think it's going to get increasingly fragmented, like in the same way that within the economy, right? Pick any product category and there are, you know, three or four or five big companies and then dozens of smaller ones. Like, I think that the same thing is going to happen in different categories within the creator economy, right? Like, you know, membership, you know, Kajabi is membership for, you know, creators who identify as business owners and solopreneurs and Patreon is membership for creators who identify as artists. And then there's going to be all these small and OnlyFans is membership for adult creators. And there's all these smaller platforms. Fanfix is like OnlyFans light for cool Gen Z creators. And Fan House is membership right. for cosplayers and nerds and or geeks or whatever you want to call yourself. And yada, 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 right? Like, I think like that kind of fragmentation is going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens to the platforms as well. We're already starting to see it a little bit with Twitch. To some extent, they shot themselves in the foot with doing all these anti-creator policies. And now it's leaving the door open for 
creators to move to other platforms. And, you know, who knows if maybe it'll happen with like written content with Twitter, like we're already seeing LinkedIn picking up a bunch of Twitter's users and all these other like Mastodon and whatever kind of popping up. The question is like, you know, are these all venture backed businesses? Right. I mean, maybe they're all seed funded businesses, but like there's a cap on that, right? Until at some point someone comes along and just like rolls them all together. Right. But that's not right. really like a single platform. That's like an IAC type, like match group type model. Right. I agree with that. That was what I was thinking as you were describing that fragmentation. It's like that increasing verticalization of the tooling. Like you have memberships for podcasters and memberships for video streamers and what, you know, totally. like given that creators are not this monolithic segment, but instead just super diverse within themselves, does the tooling layer then also become fragmented and there's a bunch of different solutions that work for different pockets of it but the implication of that is that none of them are going to be like huge billion dollar companies with you know a hundred percent of creators using them i actually think a lot of them will be huge billion dollar companies i think like there'll be mm -hmm. tons of these companies at like billion dollar revenue scale right i think there probably won't be any with like 10 to a hundred billion dollar revenue scale, right? Like mm -hmm. the age of like the metas and Googles dominating, you know, I think will eventually come to an end in that sense for like having like a gigantic company that owns an entire market. And like there's such little penetration opportunity for anyone else that like there's 50 billion, a hundred billion revenue, like almost the entire TAM is taken by them. I think that within the creator economy, like all the sub markets, that exist will like they're still huge scale right like uh, someone just published the goldman or someone just published an article saying that by 2027 it's like 450 billion in revenue in the creator economy huge scale right affiliate revenue brand sponsorships ad revenue digital products memberships you know coaching and consulting and uh, like tons and tons of services so many different revenue opportunities like kajabi can generate billions of dollars in payments for creators, but like so can Patreon and so can some other platform that we haven't even seen yet. And I think that to me is really interesting. I think there's gonna be lots of like great businesses, even venture scale businesses, but everyone like everyone wants to be like the next Facebook or Meta or, you know, I don't see that happening. Right, that makes sense. Switching to the creator side, do you think that the era of massive creators, creators that reach like Mr. Beast status. Mm. Do you feel like the fragmentation that you described on the business side is going to be mirrored on the creator side where we get a fragmentation in attention? And so creators in the future are going to cap out at a lower ceiling than before? I think there's some nuance there. I think yes in general. But creators like Mr. Beast... If you look at all the very, very biggest creators on YouTube, right? You look at like the rankings of like top viewed, billion view a month type creators. Either they're in India, <laughs> right? Where there's like just gigantic, gigantic viewership scale or the kids channels. Because like YouTube is basically now the de facto entertainment for children and yeah. teenagers, but like largely children. Dirty little secret about Mr. Beast and, you know, hopefully no one gets mad at me about this, but like 
a huge chunk of his audience, if not the majority of his audience, are kids. He knows it. Look at the products he releases, right? Mr. Beast Burger. If you look at those burgers, if you order those burgers, no adult is eating those burgers. There isn't a vegetable in sight, right? <laughs> These are like burgers that are like, one of them is like bacon, meat, cheese, and ketchup, right? Like, and that's fine. Like, that's the type of thing you order your kid on a Friday night when you want them to like, you know, leave you and your partner alone so you can, <laughs> you know, like have wine and like a nice meal. Feastables, like candy, <laughs> you know? And so I think like in that category, I think if Mr. Beast was like, I'm making content for grownups, no way he would be as big as he is. Unique thing about Mr. Beast is that he makes content that's actually enjoyable for everyone, right? The majority of his audience are kids, but like, I like Mr. Beast. My brother is a Harvard-educated economist who teaches at UCLA, and he watches Mr. Beast. So, like, it's content that appeals to everyone, but I think that's super, super rare. And so I think, like, to your point, I think there is going to be increasing fragmentation. Maybe there will be, like, a Mr. Beast in the future. I think there's always going to be super celebrities, like, human beings like that, and, like, there is a certain level of, like, snowball effect on yeah. celebrities like part of mr beast's scale comes from the fact that everyone talks about mr beast's scale you and you can I mean? talk about him with your friends like there's right. there's you don't want to talk about a creator that no one else knows anything about right kids started watching mr beast first and then their parents or like their cousins or their siblings or whatever and then like we started talking about mr beast in the industry and then people started reading articles about Mr. Beast talking about how big he is and they started watching him. And so like it all snowballs together. And I think that's always going to happen for creators who like make something that resonates and has the potential to resonate like he does, right? Like the content he makes is appealing for most people and for creators, I think it's always going to happen, but I think it will be increasingly rare. Yeah. Except in the mm -hmm. kids category. I think like kids just want to watch the same thing that other kids are watching. Like, think about, like, high school. Like, nobody wanted to be different. Does this mean that you're not very bullish on, like, the AI personalized creator where the creator themselves is not a person, but instead AI generated? Well, that's a great question. I think personalization, if it's good, first of all, has to be really good. I think there's a market there for adults. Mm. I think that, like... There's like a turning point in every like everyone's kind of life where like you go from like caring what everyone else thinks to only caring what you like. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like before that, you can have massive scale because it's like a network effect. If a few people are watching it and those people are influential, then lots of people will watch it, right? If cool kids in high school watch Mr. Beast, then everyone in high school watches Mr. Beast, right? After that point, then like personalization matters, then you have super fragmentation. You also have like a deeper level of passion, right? Like, you know, the highest earning streamer on Twitch is Critical Role, which is a Dungeons and Dragons live play podcast. Well, that podcast, it's a show, but I listen to the podcast. But like, it's, it, you know, when the Twitch leak, yes, I read the Twitch leak, sorry, like $10 million over two years. Blew every other creator on the platform out of the water. Wow. Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right? Because like that is like speaking to a much smaller subset of people than on the rest of the platform. But those people 
are passionate, they've got money. That makes sense. So personalization can work for people in a stage of their lives that don't give a fuck what other people are watching or reading or listening to. So basically people like us. Yes. Like I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I'm never going to watch Breaking Bad. Shoot me. Like I I I watch anime. The latest season of Succession. I really am. Haven't watched Succession either. I literally like everyone's like, have you seen this? I'm like, no, but I have you seen like the latest One Piece? Okay, well, like then we don't have anything to talk about. Like, I don't care what everyone's watching. I want to watch One Piece or, you know, whatever. So that makes sense. I'm a real nerd here, by the way. So sorry to I've I've outed myself as a socialist, a super nerd, (laughs) man. Oh, really? (laughs) I thought given your response about the regulatory piece of the creator economy, I would have pinned you for like a libertarian. No, I, I, I don't think that my response was what creators should do, not what I want to happen. Right. Not your ideal world. Right. Like in an ideal world, yes, like there is more equality and things are regulated better. But like this is America. And I, I, mm-hmm. am, I think it's I think it will eventually happen, but I think it will take years and a generational yeah. shift. Right. Like yeah. there's still a huge portion of the voting block to whom like socialism equals nuclear war. Right. Like if you remember the Cold War, you ain't voting for the socialists. And I get right. that. Like, I, I, how could I understand that point of view? I was born the year the Cold War ended. So, like, once that once like that mindset no longer exists in the voting population. And I think once like it gets bad enough from like an income disparity thing and it's getting there. Right. Like there are enough people on social media making memes and videos about like how you know, if you're a millennial of Gen Z, you're never going to own a house that like eventually that change will happen, you know? And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to president AOC, but like <laughs> until then creators like diversify. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That's a very pragmatic view of the world. I, I like that pragmatism. It's a good balanced view. I would love to leave on your recommendations, resources, reads, links, your podcast diet. Like, what do you consume to stay up to date on the creator economy? Okay, awesome. So I live on LinkedIn, which like, if you're on LinkedIn, follow me. So there's tons of great creator economy folks on LinkedIn, you know, Jim Lauterbeck, Lindsey Gamble. I mean, there's so many I'm gonna avoid naming. Yeah, LinkedIn is a creator platform now. It's cool. But like, Go to LinkedIn and follow me and you will see all these people in my comments and you will see me commenting on all their stuff because that's how you grow, that's how you engage. And so lots of great newsletters there. Tube Filter is kind of like the inside news for the creator economy, especially as it relates to like video creators, like TikTokers and YouTubers and those kinds of folks, and especially for like Gen Z and millennials. It's a little bit like more gossipy slash like pop culture but like a really good resource if you want to kind of know what's happening nitty-gritty with creators and platforms man they are i did not prepare for this question can i can you give me two seconds and i'll just pull up my yeah no worries reading list i'll throw in a rack like i i follow all of taylor lorenz's writing i think she yes taylor is really on the the forefront of covering new trends in the creator economy and just internet culture broadly 100 percent agree my team we used to call her queen tay tay because we would, she would just be <laughs> not like, to be like, confused with the other Queen Taylor. Yes, well, there was there was a time period like Taylor Lynch is like the OG creator economy journalist in the mainstream sort of media ecosystem. She's been covering it since 
before 2020. Now there's mm-hmm. like, you know, Insider has folks and Amanda Pirelli right, from Insider has actually been in it for a while. Right. But like Insider is like more pop. Whereas like Taylor Lenz was doing like deep writing at like the New York Times and now Washington Post and like, yeah. So like actually Business Insider does some great coverage of the creator economy. Do you have yeah. a podcast? So I don't have a podcast. I did for like a hot second, but I decided to shift to a newsletter. I would say LinkedIn, The Information, Business Insider, Taylor Lorenz are like a good starter diet to like, and Tube Filter. Tube Filter is like, I think anyone that's interested in the video content ecosystem needs to be on Tube Filter or reading Tube Filter. I agree. Plus one. I think that's a really good starter. 101 pack to the creator economy for anyone hoping to learn more and stay up to date and to learn about creators read creator logic yeah check out avi's newsletter creator logic it's it's awesome. www you gotta put the www in i still have to figure out how to fix this dot <laughs> the creator logic dot. okay thank you we'll put it in the show notes as well Avi, thank you so much for being here today. This was really fun. Very illuminating. Yeah, thank you for having me. 